we've been taking some time and looking at a, uh, the announcement, the proclamation of the arrival of our Savior. Uh, it is, uh, it's beautiful, it's, it's glorious, it's an amazing announcement uh, of the angel of the Lord to these unsuspecting uh, shepherds. So not your, your typical target audience for the most uh, important announcement in the history of the world, but, uh, but it's quite beautiful. And so uh, if you would just turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 2, and uh, we're going to take some time and looking at uh, verses 9 through 14 and, and, and talk about some aspects of this today. So this is Luke chapter 2, verse 9. This is how it goes. An angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to him, "Uh, Don't be afraid, for behold, I bring to you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger. And suddenly uh, there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. Uh, last week, we, we took some time to talk about the, the meaning and the significance of this great joy that the angel promises. Good news of great joy. And, uh, and we took some time to talk about the significance and the meaning of that joy in our lives, and so today I'd like to look at another uh, another aspect of what's being promised here, and that is this idea of peace. Uh, this is a promise by the angel of the Lord at the arrival of Jesus that there will be peace for us. And um, the word that these shepherds would have heard and understood, uh, as far as the word peace is concerned, would be a Hebrew word, shalom. And we're familiar with this word. We've heard it. Uh, shalom means so much more than just peace. Uh, it, it, is, it is a loaded word that has a lot of meaning. And uh, if you sort of unpack that, uh, you're looking at uh, a, a word that means completeness, wholeness, safety, soundness, perfectness, fullness, rest, harmony. It's, it's fantastic. So, the promise of peace, the promise of shalom, is, is a promise that's so much more than just an absence of conflict. Uh, it is something that is rich and meaningful and, and beautiful and, and, and very important. And, and I'm reading this uh, this week and, and just taking some time to consider the idea of peace in our lives. And, and I've got to be honest with you, it sounds uh, amazing. And uh, I, I don't know if, if you're like me, uh, if you've had uh, just probably the way that we wrap up our year and, uh, you know, Christmas time is, 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 uh, is a word, it's the time of the year where the word peace comes up a lot and we see it and we hear it and, and uh, peace on earth and we're like, oh, that sounds great. And then you're, you're stressed and <laughs> there's, there's so much going on and, and it's like you're, you're, you're trying to cross the finish line at the end of the year and uh, it's a lot and life is a lot. And so uh, there's a lot of stress and anxiety and worry and stuff and pressure and job and work and family and kids and things. And, and so peace sounds uh, amazing. And so that's the promise of this angel is, is peace. And uh, I think before we even dive into really unpacking what, what this means for us, what this looks like for us, I, I think it's important to, to go at this from the right angle. 
Uh, peace is not a what. Uh, peace is not a set of circumstances. It's not an idea. It's not a philosophy. It's not a, a destination in terms of uh, our circumstances aligning. Peace is a person. It's a who. Um, the, the, the book of Ephesians, chapter 2, verse 14, uh, makes this bold. This is the Apostle Paul makes this bold declaration just to let us know. He himself is our peace. Jesus is, he's the Prince of Peace. And, and so when the proclamation of the arrival of Jesus, uh, the angel is saying peace is here because the person who is peace has arrived. Peace showed up. And, and he's here, and he himself is our peace. And that Prince of Peace brings forth to us peace that passes understanding. And so the angel of the Lord proclaims this uh, for a, uh, and here's the kind of the caveat. This peace is for a, a specific group of people. And so the angel of the Lord says, this peace has come, has arrived for people whom uh, God is well pleased with. So uh, another translation puts it this way, people on whom his favor rests. So peace is available for people who God favors. And so then you kind of start down this whole kind of uh, this whole rabbit trail of like, whoa, okay, how do I become the favored uh, person, someone who is, has God's favor on them. How do I actually earn or secure the favor of God? And, and I think that is a conversation that happens in Christian circles all the time. Uh, we're always talking about earning favor from God. We're always talking about earning uh, God's approval on us. And uh, it, it is a, a constant conversation in religious circles and and uh, it, it, is, it, 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 it comes up a lot, in, especially in Christian circles. And so if I, if I were to listen to the world around me and sort of uh, take in all their advice and their information and just what I perceive, and I don't know about you, I grew up in church, and so you just certain things you just catch and you just pick up along the way, certain sensibilities and, and priorities and, and the way that the, the thing works. And you start to kind of watch it and, and, and understand, try to understand what's going on. And what I've been taught, just being around it, is that uh, the favorite kinds of people that God really has uh, approves of are the strong, the, uh, the competent, the together, the people who uh, do more than others, who achieve more than others, who are more moral and good than others. Uh, who stand out for all the right reasons. And so uh, that's sort of, if you're like me, you grew up in church, that's probably something you picked up. God loves the strong. There's a great scripture that is uh, one of people's favorite scriptures that actually is not even in the Bible, but uh, God helps those who help themselves. That is, the, the prophet Benjamin Franklin said that. Um, <laughs> that was not, it's not in the Bible. But uh, most people think that that's in the Bible. If you were to survey people, most people think that, that that is a scripture in the Bible, that God helps those who helps themselves. And so God likes the self-sufficient, the strong, the capable, the competent, the go-getters. 
And there's something in us that connects with that. We, we love the idea of strength. We love it. Uh, we, we, we will try our best to project strength as much as we can. We want people to look at us as being strong. Man, you've been through it and you're tough. Uh, You've you got a lot going on and you are strong. We love that. There's something about that that, that really it, it appeals to something on the inside of us. And so, of course, God has to look at us that way because it makes sense to us. But, but is that the truth? If you take a step back and consider this announcement, Let's look at the angel of the Lord and the target audience for this announcement. Who, who are the people that God wants the first people to hear of the good news of the arrival of Jesus to start this viral marketing campaign? So who does he choose? Common, everyday shepherds. These are not the influencers. The announcement of, of the arrival of Jesus doesn't go to the blue bloods. It goes to the blue collars. And obviously, these folks would be uh, people in whom God is well pleased because He's giving this, this announcement to them. Peace is here for you, for those who is, God is well pleased with. Well, ironically, in this time, in this, in this culture, uh, shepherds were not looked at um, in, a, in, a, in a respectable way. In fact, uh, these, these guys would oftentimes have to work around the clock. And so, a lot of times, shepherds could not and did not honor the Sabbath. Because they were working. They couldn't not work. And so, these gentlemen did not honor the Sabbath. Therefore, the, 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 the religious community looked down upon them. They were outsiders because they were not obedient. So, God uses a, a group of people that were not the top of the class. You would think if we're doing a, mar- a viral marketing campaign, we need to get this information to the influencers, right? Not the, the guys who, who there, there's a difference between influencers and people who are uh, anonymous, who are just sort of uh, in the background and, and no one pays attention to them. But those are the people that God chooses to, to, to give this information to. But here's the reality. These are humble, everyday, common shepherds. And, and maybe, uh, in large part, they are, this conversation with them and this, this gift to them is, is a picture of really the big, the big picture of what God's all about. What we're a big picture we're meant to see in this whole story that the favor of God that he's talking about, peace for those who is well-pleased, that is, that is speaking to the grace of God. The grace of God is the unmerited favor of God. So the, those who, on whom his favor rests are those who are experiencing his grace. And there's an interesting statement in the book of James, chapter 4, verse 6 that talks about the target audience of His grace. And he, he puts it this way. The Bible puts it this way. God is opposed to the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. Maybe the picture that we get of the, who, who is hearing the good news 
of great joy, who is receiving this amazing favor and this amazing peace. Maybe it's a picture of how we're supposed to approach God. In fact, the whole picture of the the arrival of Jesus is a picture of humility. Jesus himself arrives in the most humble of circumstances imaginable. As a baby born amongst livestock in a barn uh, or in a cave, placed in a feeding trough, born to two nobodies, born amongst uh, humble circumstances, and then the, the announcement of the arrival of Jesus comes to humble, everyday shepherds who are not the elite, who are not the top of the, the moral food chain. Maybe, maybe this is a bigger picture of the fact that God does give grace to the humble. In other words, grace is for those who need it. Grace is not icing on, for, on the cake for people who are pulling this thing off well. In fact, the lead into that, God is opposed to the proud. That would mean God is at odds with pride. Human pride is a stop sign to say, God, I don't really need you. But God gives grace, supernatural favor, unconditional love and favor. He gives that to the humble. I, I, I hate to say this, but the most obvious quality of Christians should be humility, and, and it's honestly oftentimes not. If you really get involved in Christian circles, humility would be something that, that you don't see as often. And it should be the, a shining component of the Christian life. Religion itself, religion this man-made attempts to become more like God. Religion is deeply rooted in, God, in, in, in pride. It is perpetually focused on the self. And in, in what the gospel does, the arrival of Jesus, the announcement of that, it shifts our focus to Jesus. The gospel is meant to get our focus off of ourselves and onto Jesus. So self-sufficient lifestyles are, are not, that's, that's not God's heart. God's heart is complete and utter dependency on Him. And whether we acknowledge it or not, realize it or not, we are. Like I said the first week of the series, this story is beautiful because the arrival of Jesus is the most amazing thing ever because, how, because of how desperately we needed Him. He arrived because we desperately needed a Savior. We are saved by grace faith. And, and here's the reality. We are saved by grace through faith, and that is what results in peace. Peace is rooted in grace. Last week we talked about joy, and the word joy in the Bible is chara, uh, and, and that's the Greek word used by, as we translate it, by the angel. I give you good news of great joy, chara. And then the word for grace is a root word of that same haris. So joy is rooted in grace. And in the same way, peace is rooted in grace. John 3.16, picture of this. And if you just walk through it slowly and, and hear this, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. That is a move of God's grace. 
That is not deserved. We don't deserve that. We didn't merit that. We didn't do anything to secure that. That is 100% a move of one-way love and grace from God. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. That's grace. So that whosoever believes in Him, faith, shall not perish but experience everlasting life. We can experience peace that is only found in Christ. In our salvation in our, the securing of our life by another. And so the Apostle Paul began every single one of his letters the same exact way. It's to the point where people just write it off as just being his kind of standard greeting. But it's so much more than that. Every single letter, Paul starts it this way. Grace and peace to you. With those two words... He sums up the entire gospel. He sums up the entirety of the gospel in two words. Grace, which is the root of the gospel. And peace, which is the fruit of the gospel. So the the announcement of the angel of the Lord is that, hey, peace is here for those that God's favor rests upon. Well, what that means is peace is available to those who are under the grace of God, who abide in the grace of God, who live in the grace of God. So the root of it is the grace of God. The fruit, the result of that amazing grace is peace. The, the great um, reformist Martin Luther, about these two terms, I'll share it with you, I'll throw it up on the screen. This is so good. The, these two terms, grace and peace, constitute the whole of Christianity. Grace involves the remission of sins. Peace involves a happy conscience. Sin is not canceled by lawful living, for no person is able to live up to the law. The law reveals guilt. It fills the conscience with terror, and it drives men to despair. Much less is sin taken away by man-invented endeavors. The fact is, the more a person seeks credit for himself by his own efforts, the deeper he goes into debt. Nothing can take away sin except the grace of God. In actual living, however, there is not, there, it is not easy to persuade oneself by grace alone in opposition to every other means. We obtain the forgiveness of our sins and peace with God. We find no rest for our weary bones unless we cling to the word of grace. God gives peace to those in whom he is well pleased. And, and if we look back to the arrival of Jesus, we, we find these beautiful statements that God audibly uh, at his baptism in another place at the Mount of Transfiguration, we, we find these audible statements from God himself This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. So who has God's favor? In whom is he pleased? Jesus. Jesus is the person that he is well pleased with. And because of his amazing grace, we are in Jesus. And he is in us. Therefore, the Bible says in 1 John 4, 17, as he is, so are we in this world. We are consumed by the favor 
in the pleasure of God because we are in Christ and He is in us. So it is because of that reality that we are able to experience peace. Now I want to talk about that as we wrap up today. I want to talk about the reality of that peace. A couple of scriptures, Romans 5, 1 through 2. Having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we also have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. We are standing upon His grace. That is the, that is the, the, the ground in which we are rooted in. His amazing grace. The Bible talks about when you look at the uh, armor of God uh, in, in, in the, what the Bible is talking about, the helmet of salvation and, and the breastplate of, breastplate of righteousness and all that. Uh, what you, you get when you talk about the feet shod with peace. You are standing upon peace. You are standing on, uh, on peace on the grace of God. Then John 14, 27, uh, Jesus makes this proclamation. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives to you. Do I give it to you? Uh, don't let your heart be troubled, nor don't let it be fearful. Now, this is kind of a redundant statement. I, my peace I leave, my peace I give. Jesus is talking about two different types of peace. He's saying, my peace I leave with you. That is, the, the, that is peace with God. And then he says, my peace I continually give to you, which is the peace of God. It's two very different things. I, I'm leaving with you peace with God, and then I'm also continually giving you the peace of God. Now go back to the, uh, the announcement of the arrival of the Savior. The angel shows up in, you know, in front of these shepherds. The shepherds freak out because... You would. There's an angel sitting in front of you. You're minding your business. You're trying to, to, to uh, cheap to do what you want them to do. And an angel shows up. They lose their mind. They're scared out of their mind. Immediately, the angel's like, don't, don't be scared. Don't be scared. And then the angel promises peace. Philippians 4 the Apostle Paul says, be anxious for nothing, but by prayer and supplication, make requests known to God. And then he says, now the peace of God, which surpasses understanding, will guard your hearts and your mind. He does the same thing. Don't, don't be anxious. Don't be scared. Instead, experience the peace of God. Now, we can live in peace because we have peace with God. We're good with God. That is step one. How can I experience peace? Well, you're not going to experience peace if there's tension, if there's a rift, if there's no favor and no connection with God. If God and I aren't good, there's no peace for my soul. But Jesus secured my right standing with God. So when the Bible says, as he is, so are you, that, that is true. And there's no, there's no caveat to that. 
There's no hoops to jump through. And in fact, I would say this. As much as our culture and our world tries to paint the picture of God is for the strong and the, and the clean and the competent and the together, that is not at all what I see in Scripture. What I see in Scripture is the last, the lowest, the least, the broken, the fragile, the misfits, the island of misfit toys. These are the people in whom God uses and in whom God is well pleased. God is, he gravitates towards broken humanity. That's his move. Jesus said, I didn't come for the healthy, I came for the sick. I don't think we really take time to consider what that means. God is not interested in people who are self-sufficient in terms of bringing them into the fold because they don't want to. God gives grace to the humble because the proud don't want to be brought in. The story of the prodigal son is a story of a kid who is broken, jacked up, messed up, missed the mark, but is brought into grace while his older brother thought he was pulling this thing off perfectly and he he is nowhere near being where he needs to be. You you see this throughout from, from, from... the beginning to the end, God's move is towards broken flesh, towards weakness. His strength is made perfect in our weakness. Jesus, uh, the Apostle Paul says when Jesus gets a hold of him, he makes the statement, he said, I am the worst person I know. He calls himself the chief sinner. I am the worst guy I know. But he makes a statement, he said, the only thing I boast in nowadays, the only th- I used to boast in my resume and how good I am. Now the only thing I boast in is my weakness. I gladly boast in my weakness. Because it's in that weakness that his grace is most sufficient. And his strength shows up the boldest. The, the Christmas story is supposed to show us how far God is willing to move down into the depths of human brokenness in order to inject life, peace, joy, hope, salvation. He reaches to the the lowest point imaginable in order to lift us up. But so much of our culture is about self-sufficiency. It's about, it's about pride. It's about looking the part, acting the part, measuring up. It's about self-sufficiency and individualism. And so there is no need. Why lean into grace if I don't need it? There, there is a point, and the Bible talks about it this way. Every knee shall bow. Every tongue shall confess. We're all going to hit a moment where we're like, you know what, my, my charm and my good looks is not going to get me out of this. There's, there's no amount of strength and intelligence and good ideas and, and talent that is going to carry me through this, this brokenness, this heartache, this despair. We all run out of road eventually. 
We all run out of runway eventually, and every knee bows and every tongue confesses. The invitation of the arrival of Jesus is to say, why not choose him today? Why not choose that today because there is so much life, so much joy, so much peace in him that you're not going to find doing this on your own. God secures through his son peace with us. But he also continually gives us through his son Jesus the peace of God that passes understanding that no matter what you're going through and what you're facing, it is small in light of the God of the universe. I don't know about you, like, uh, being a parent is, is amazing. But it, it, it brings up a lot of things where you're like, man, I used to be like this kid. I used to think in these terms. And now the grown-up, the parent, brings perspective. So when your son or your daughter is uh, overwhelmed by circumstances... And you're looking at that child and you're saying, these are the easiest circumstances you're ever going to have for the rest of your life. Smile. You got it good. But it's like, you know, they have to go to bed. I remember, oh my goodness, I shouldn't even admit this, but um, I was probably 11. I think I was 11 years old. Nick at Night was on, which was uh, such a great idea. Uh, Nickelodeon, uh, which is a, a TV channel for kids, at night would turn into all the old shows that, uh, that I loved. I loved them. And so I'd watch Dobie Gillis. I'd watch uh, F Troop. I'd watch all these great shows. The Patty Duke Show, uh, Car 54, Where Are You? All these great shows. There's three people in this room that are really happy I'm, in, I'm talking about these things. The rest of you are like, I have no idea. The Monkees came on. Here we come, walking down the street. So good. And so my mom came into the room. I was at my grandmother's house. She had cable. And uh, my grandmother's house had cable. And so my mom came in the room. She said, Chris, it's 11 o'clock. It's time for you to go to bed. I'm like, do you not see Michael Nesmith and Davy Jones? What is wrong with you? Um, She's like, Chris, you got to go to bed. I lost my mind. I was like, you go to bed. <laughs> she, she made me a daydream believer, if you know what I mean. She was like, you can catch the last train to Clarksville. <clears throat> I'll leave you at the station. <clears throat> so um, anyway, <clears throat> I overreacted, freaked out. Because the worst thing that had ever happened to me was happening to me. I was not able to watch the monkeys. And I think my mom grounded me for a year. One year. I don't know that she honored that or, or lived up to that, but that was, the, that was the threat. You're grounded for one year. I was like, this might be a little extreme. <clears throat> I'm still grounded, actually, right now. Uh, in perspective, I'm 45 years old. That was such a silly thing to lose your mind over, but it seemed massive at the time. And everything that we face that is 
creating anxiety within us that is disturbing our peace, that is creating turmoil and stress, sleepless nights. To us, it seems overwhelming. This is the biggest thing that we can imagine facing. And I'm not trying to minimize that. I'm not trying to trivialize that. Uh, I don't need to. I don't want to. It's big to you. To, it's big to me. It's big to us. To God, it's tiny. Peace begins to flood our hearts, not because we've arranged circumstances to eliminate conflict. Peace is not a product of aligning things where they need to be. Peace is far deeper, far further reaching, and far more important than that. Peace is a person where in the middle of a storm, we look over and we see that Jesus is in our boat. And we understand that this too shall pass. And God doesn't always rescue us from every single circumstance, but he certainly rescues us in every single circumstance. In this world, you will have trouble, but you can take heart because Jesus has overcome the world and he is bigger than what you're facing. True peace, the the announcement of the rival of peace is understanding that the God of the universe loved you enough to come down, to meet you in your sin, in your brokenness, in your weakness, and be there present with you and never leave you and never forsake you and never give up on you, never throw in the towel on you, but to carry you through every step of the way. Peace is only from the Prince of Peace. And it will sustain us through every circumstance that we endure, every single time. God is 100% faithful, and he will always meet us there. That, that, there's one of my be- the most beautiful hymns, my favorite hymn, is It Is Well With My Soul. And of course, if you know the story, I think, I think his name is Horatio Spafford. He, 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 uh, he lost his family. Uh, they, they, they were lost at sea, and he, they, they perished. And in his trip to go um, be there and deal with the grief of this loss on a boat ride, he wrote this He wrote this hymn, It Is Well With My Soul. Through the worst things imaginable, God, you're faithful and you're present and you never leave me and you never forsake me. That is the beauty of the grace of God. It doesn't doesn't give up in hard times. It shows up all the more. Grace runs downhill. It's for those who are humble. It's for those who realize they need it. And it never fails us. It carries us and sustains us through the worst. And the fruit of that grace is the fact that we can trust him. It is well with my soul. And and the truth is, if, if God is for us, who can be against us? So the more we hear the gospel and revel in the gospel, and the more we encourage each other in the gospel and do life together, this is the power of community, the more we remind each other on a daily basis that God is for us, who can be against us, 
the more that anxiety and that fear get, begins to dissipate and the more we trust his grace to carry us through the day.